Lake Effect brings you conversations about what's happening in Milwaukee and the people, places, and organizations that shape our community. This is Lake Effect Spotlight from WUWM, Milwaukee's NPR. The battle over Wisconsin's shared revenue program has been simmering for decades. But over the last week, that simmer has turned to a boil with the release of the legislature's proposed changes to the program. Although the proposal would increase funding to communities throughout the state, these funds come with some major strings attached, including changes to how local democracy works here in Milwaukee. Philip Rocco is an associate professor of political science at Marquette, and he's been studying the GOP proposal along with a dueling proposal from Governor Evers. He joins Lake Effect's Joy Powers to explain more. There, of course, has been already a lot of controversy over the proposal coming from Wisconsin's Republican legislature, and we're going to get into the numbers in just a bit here. But I'd like to start at what is really the beginning. Uh, What is the shared revenue program and why was it really created in Wisconsin? So way back when, in 1911, Wisconsin became the first state to create a progressive income tax. And what the state did when it created that income tax is it preempted local governments from using the income tax as well, and it also exempted a number of forms of property from taxation. And at the time when the state did that, it said, look, in exchange for taking away your ability to tax certain kinds of things, and in exchange for preempting some kinds of property taxation, we're going to give you back, municipalities and counties, we're going to give you back some share of our state revenue that we collect from other sources. And then you th- if you think about when the state adopted a sales tax, it also preempted local governments from, from taking advantage of that as well. And so the importance of the system uh, endured. And so really until about 2003 in one form or another, the state of Wisconsin gave cities and counties a share back of state revenue. And there's some different aspects of of how it did that. Largely, it used this idea of aidable revenues, in other words, uh, property tax value, as well as population, and kind of gave cities and counties back a share of revenue based on those things. So the way I like to think about it is shared revenue is not like a gift that the state gives to local governments because it, it wants to, or, you know, it's a nice thing to do. It's actually part of this overall bargain between the local governments and the state about how they're going to share access to those sorts of revenues. Now, the thing that happened in 2003 is basically the legislature kind of froze the system uh, in place. So even as local governments began to send more revenue to the state uh, and even as inflation increased, the amount of aid that local governments around the state in Wisconsin got from the state is basically flat. That's really the context for this current debate, updating uh, or rehabilitating this old system uh, that was a really important source of revenue uh, for local governments, but which has stayed flat really since, since 2003. So for 20 years, it's stayed flat then. You mentioned the idea of the shared revenue program was that Cities would not have control, local control, over things like taxes. There would be limits on how they can tax people, the same with county governments. You also mentioned that because the state exempts 
taxes from certain kinds of properties, that was also in this initial uh, figure, right? The amount of money that you're getting back. I think some people will look at even the shared revenue program under the new bill and go, well, Milwaukee gets quite a bit of money, but it seems like part of that is as a result of the fact that we have a lot of factories. It was my understanding that some of the exemptions really had to do with commercial properties, which uh, Milwaukee has a disproportionate amount of. That's absolutely right. And that's actually highlights why this program is so significant. Local governments in the state of Wisconsin don't get to do kind of whatever they want. They're not like states kind of making their own uh, bodies of law. The state sets the parameters around what local governments can do, including who and what they can tax. And so what that means is, given that local governments in Wisconsin can't access the sales tax, can't access the income tax, and have a lot of limits not just exemptions, but also levy limits on the property tax, it means that what the state does and what it shares with local governments is hugely important to the kinds of services that those governments can offer. Around the state, shared revenue from the state is is the second largest source of revenue for local governments behind the property tax. And what it means for that formula to have stayed flat is that local governments, even as inflation increases, purchasing becomes more difficult, they are missing out on a lot of aid. So to put this whole thing in context, if we were to update the shared revenue program for counties and municipalities, which is called county and municipal aid, for inflation based on what those governments received in 2000, we'd need to add about $819 million worth of aid. Right. And that's aid that local governments are going to use for police, for fire, for libraries, for EMS, for all of the services that we expect them to provide. So 819 million. Right now, we have two different plans. The governor's released a plan that adds about 576 million. Over half of that is general purpose, like it was traditionally. Governments can use it for what they need. The Republican Assembly plan adds about half of that, only about 277 million. And none of that money is general purpose. It is all restricted purpose. Uh, governments can only use it for police, fire, EMS. So even though both of the plans that we're looking at right now uh, in the state are, you could say, updates to shared revenue, that is where the similarities between the two plans end. They are different in almost every other important respect. So let's get into this formula, uh, specifically the one that the legislature has been using to figure out how much money each city or county government will be getting. What does that look like? How does it compare to, uh, again, kind of the initial purpose of this program? When it comes to municipalities, I'll just focus on those for the moment. Under the traditional formula, uh, governments got uh, aid uh, based on uh, their what is called aidable revenues, which is a formula that includes kind of their level of property tax wealth and their level of revenue effort. So in other words, it, it tried to, to, that old formula tried to equalize tax bases and then based on population as well. The governor's formula more or less preserves that old system and kind of updates it to the present day. The Republican bill for municipalities has a very interesting formula. So it dispenses with that aidable revenues component uh, entirely. So the idea that we're going to be doing any sort of return to origin or tax base equalization, uh, that goes away. And the only 
factor that it uses is population, but then it throws one other wrinkle in that. Uh, essentially, every level of uh, municipal government has a population factor, and then there's a multiplier attached to that. And for municipalities that are under 5,000 people, so the smallest municipalities in the state get a higher population multiplier than any other community. So what that means is that under the Evers plan, any government over 5,000 people, you're going to see a much higher return than under the the Republicans plan. By contrast, on the Republicans plan, any government over 5,000 people, they're going to see less aid than they would under the Evers plan. But those governments that are under 5,000 people, they're going to see a huge increase in their aid, including there are some small towns like Popple River, which is in Forest County. I think it has a population of about 43. It's going to see something like a 5,000% increase over its current level of aid. That's where this gets pretty interesting and just how disparately communities are impacted. Uh, There are some very small municipalities, very small cities, towns, I, I think they're not even quite big enough to be considered cities, that will get a huge amount of money and a huge increase from what they're getting right now. But in Milwaukee County, in Racine County, uh, I believe Kenosha County can also be lumped into that, we're seeing far smaller uh, rises. Yeah. Let, let's just take a few examples, right? So under the Republican bill, no municipality is going to get less than a 10% increase. But what that means practically, especially for larger municipalities, is they're often getting the bare uh, minimum. So let's just start by talking about Milwaukee County. On average, all of the municipalities in Milwaukee County, you know, from Milwaukee to St. Francis, uh, West Milwaukee, Cudahy, West Dallas, they're going to see, on average, uh, an increase in aid under the Evers plan that is four times higher uh, than it is under uh, the Republican plan. Okay, so let's zoom out a little bit more and we can talk about the Milwaukee metro area. So there are eight counties in the combined statistical area. Of those, six are going to see average increases in municipal aid that are higher under the Evers plan than they are under the GOP plan. And two, the least populous ones, Dodge and Jefferson counties, will do a little bit better on average. Those municipalities will do a little bit better on average under the GOP plan. Now let's zoom out to the entire state. And what we can see is that the communities that are larger than 5,000 people, they're going to do much better Uh, sometimes twice as better under the Evers plan uh, than they are under the Republican plan, whereas the Republican plan really uh, includes the largest boost for those smallest communities with under 5,000 people. And so I think what this means is that, you know, you've got some municipalities, even just in the Milwaukee area, that have a lot of needs uh, that are going to, in a way, get shortchanged. So what does this mean in practical terms for for a particular city? I mean, I I think a really good example here is the city of Racine. So if the city of Racine were to get a level of aid that's commensurate with uh, the formula that used to be in place, updated for inflation, it would see an additional $20 million today. And that's important because Racine is in very dire fiscal condition. Under the Evers plan, it would get an additional $12 million, so a little bit more than halfway to that goal. 
And under the GOP uh, assembly bill, it would see only 2.5 million because it's one of the communities that only gets that bare minimum 10% increase. So the real practical consequences of this become very clear when you think about things in those terms. This is Lake Effect. I'm Joy Powers, and I'm speaking right now with Philip Rocco. He's an associate professor of political science at Marquette University. We're talking right now about Wisconsin's shared revenue program. You've been making um, a number of charts to kind of illustrate what the uh, GOP's plan and, and I believe also what Evers' plan would mean for different communities. One of the things that really struck me was per capita spending, which really varies drastically depending on the community that you live in. What does that look like? So I, I think it's helpful to use per capita figures because it gives you a sense of how much aid is every community getting per person that lives there, right? That's why we use them because obviously as a raw number, larger communities are going to get larger amounts of aid than than smaller communities, but it's helpful to think about it per person. So under the Republican bill, we can take one town, a small town of Cedar Rapids, Wisconsin, which is in Rust County. It has a population of about 36 it would get about $865 per capita in, in aid. Uh, by contrast, the city of Milwaukee, population 577,000-ish, it would get about $414 per capita in aid, which is about half the size uh, of that uh, Cedar Rapids bill. And again, that's really the artifact of the formula under those bills. So it's helpful to kind of see those differences. For sure. Now, there has already been a lot of pushback, including a pushback from Governor Evers himself, who released his own proposal, but also said he would veto the current Republican proposal in its current form. There are a lot of strings attached to these funds, including some that created arrest quotas for cities like Milwaukee, which I believe is illegal in Wisconsin. But that being said, Republican legislators still seem miles apart from Governor Evers on how this fund should be changed. In the meantime, we're facing a fiscal cliff here in Milwaukee that could cause painful cuts to city services. Is there a light at the end of the tunnel here, or are we still pretty mired in the mud? So I I do think that there's some some potential room for compromise uh, between the two sides here. But the question is sort of what are the participants in the legislative bargaining, Evers, local communities, assembly Republicans, not willing to give up, right? And I think there are three big differences that that I can see that there might be some potential for bargaining on. One is the size of the bill. Evers' bill is, is about twice as large as the GOP bill, and that's significant given kind of what communities have lost out on since uh, about 2003. The second kind of dimension of the bill is all of the the strings. Evers' legislation is more or less a clean revenue-sharing bill with basically no strings attached and not many restrictions on how governments can use the money, which is traditionally how uh, revenue-sharing worked in, in the state of Wisconsin. The Republican bill has a lot of additional strings, um, not just the requirement for communities around the state to have a minimum level of police, fire, and EMS spending and to never go below that level. And then again, there's this sort of provision that's actually illegal, which is uh, the arrest quota uh, as well. In addition to that, there are some restrictions on how Milwaukee County and city specifically uh, can use the money and what they 
can do. And that includes uh, restrictions on the usage of county and city funds for cultural and entertainment expenditure, a prohibition on using any tax levies for streetcar, prohibiting the use of any funds for diversity, equity, and inclusion positions. And then one thing that I, I think is really different uh, between the two pro- proposals is the GOP bill actually changes some of the ways that local democracy would work. So in Milwaukee itself, it requires now a supermajority two-thirds vote for new program spending in both the county and the city. It transfers all of the fire and police commission's authority to the Milwaukee police chief, so going from civilian control to basically a lack of civilian control. And then around the state, it eliminates or prohibits local governments from having advisory uh, referendum, which is kind of one of the ways that governments kind of poll their local residents to see you know, what they think about various issues. The final thing that I think is different across the two bills is the way that they deal with the sales tax, which is something that local governments have traditionally been denied. Under Evers' bill, there's an ability for local governments around the state to begin accessing the sales tax. And then in Milwaukee, there's kind of a specific uh, formula. 1% uh, sales tax can be levied by uh, the county, and then it shares half of that with the city. Under the Assembly GOP bill, there is a 2% sales tax for the city and a 0.375% sales tax for the county. Uh, but the difference there is, is what you can use those sales taxes for. Under Evers' bill, there's no restrictions. Under the Assembly GOP bill, you can only use that revenue for unfunded uh, liabilities and police. So I think what matters here is, you know, to the extent that Evers has threatened to veto the legislation, one thing I'm going to be looking for is what is the kind of minimum uh, threshold he wants to see uh, in a package? Is it really about eliminating the strings? Is it really about increasing the aid? If so, uh, how much more aid and which kinds of strings uh, are kind of the most important to him? And then by contrast uh, with uh, Assembly Republicans, like what are the things that they see as their absolute red lines? You know, is it something that they are really prioritizing not spending more? Is it really about uh, extending the power of the state over local governments? Like, which are the, the things that are really the non-negotiables for them? Because they've essentially put a kind of wish list um, into the package. And so I think we're going to see that shake out in the next uh, week uh, or two. Uh, we'll get some clarity on what is the most important to both Evers, local officials, of course, around the state, as well as Assembly Republicans themselves. All right. Well, we will see what the future holds. Philip, thank you so much for joining us here on Lake Effect. Always good to be with you, Joy. Philip Rocco is an associate professor of political science at Marquette University, and he spoke with Lake Effect's Joy Powers. At wuwm.com, you can learn more about the legislature's proposal and what it could mean for communities throughout the state. You can find more interviews like this one by visiting wuwm.com slash lake effect. And while you're there, subscribe to the Lake Effect Spotlight podcast. 